Let us worship God. reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, the third chapter beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our our hearts and minds this morning, that your fresh word might fall upon us this day. Amen. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from, from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
It is delightful to be here with you today, just to tell you how long ago it was that I was here. I was Jeff Gaines' first seminary intern, so many years ago. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my daughters taught school in Bangladesh a few years back, and during standardized test weeks, the teachers showed movies during class time just to give the kids' brains a break. My daughter showed her students The Crudes, which you may have seen. It's an animated movie about a Neanderthal family. The father of the family announced this motto, new is always bad. Never not be afraid. The plot develops as the family runs into a homo sapiens with new and to the Neanderthal father threatening ideas. My daughter was fascinated by her students' response to a couple of things in the movie. The, the vast majority of the students at the school were Muslim boys, so first they were scandalized by the tiger skin mini dress that the teenage daughter wore, uh, an outfit most of us, including adolescent boys, probably wouldn't blink at. Second, at one point, the daughter says to her father, you can't keep me inside the cave forever, to which my daughter's students chimed almost in unison, oh yes, he can. It reminded me of the way the world can look so different to different people. It's easier to see when you're comparing very different cultures. Most teenage boys in Bangladesh have a very different view of the role of women in the family. But even within our own culture, we encounter people who make us think, wow, that's the way the world looks to you? I used to teach a class for engaged couples at a church I served years ago. I'd tell the couples to become anthropologists when they visited their in-laws. By that, I meant they should observe and wonder, rather than taking offense when their in-laws open pres presents on Christmas Eve, for example, or put ketchup on their scrambled eggs. Some of the students found this challenging because they couldn't stop thinking, but they're doing it wrong. This phenomenon touches aspects of our lives and our world that touch us in more profound ways than ketchup on scrambled eggs. When people are faced with essentially the same objective facts, they come up with completely different responses to the role of government, uh, the role that government should play in healthcare or the minimum wage, to, to gun control, to how we should raise our children or how to read the Bible like those engaged couples. We find it hard even to comprehend how people can see the world that way. How can they not see it our way when our way is so obviously the right way to see things? Here is the complicated truth, which of course you may choose not to see the way I see it, but here it is. We all construct our own realities. Not by ourselves, of course, we get lots of help in interacting with our families, our coworkers, fellow students, friends, our church, all the groups that touch us, all the 
groups that we had come in contact with, we develop a way of seeing things that we accept as true. And we live as though that is true. We make decisions and commitments and build relationships as though the way we see the world is true. We believe it as much as we believe the sun will rise. So what does this have to do with Nicodemus? When Nicodemus arrived to ask Jesus questions under the cover of night, he brought with him a particular worldview, a construction of reality. Nicodemus is a leader of the Pharisees, an esteemed member of the religious establishment. The Pharisees believed that the way to holiness was meticulously following the rules of the Torah, the 613 laws in the Old Testament, which by the time John's gospel was written, were expanding to include more rules to make sure you didn't accidentally break any of the original rules. Of particular concern to the Pharisees were the rules dividing things and people into categories of clean and unclean. They went to great lengths to make sure they didn't touch or do or even see anything or anybody that was unclean. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where it became clear that you were coming from such different places, such different realities, that there wasn't much communication going on? That's the kind of conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus seem to be having here. Nicodemus is impressed with what Jesus is doing and sees this as proof of God's presence with him. Jesus interrupts Nicodemus with a comment that seems to come out of nowhere. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that his ministry isn't all about the signs and wonders that impress Nicodemus. The kingdom of God is the phrase Jesus uses to describe the reality that God wants for us, for everybody, a new reality with God's love at the center in which all people are connected, belong, and recognized as worthy. If Nicodemus wants to see this reality, live in this reality, it will take a different kind of act of God. It will take God's working in and through him to bring about a profound and radical change. That's what Jesus means by born from above, which has also been translated born again, a phrase used in some Christian circles as a way to rank some Christians as more Christians than others. That's nothing short of ironic because the most important radical change that Nicodemus needs to make in order to experience the reign of God is to stop putting people into categories of acceptable and unacceptable, clean and unclean, in with God and out with God. Jesus, who talks with foreign women and eats with sinners, is saying Nicodemus needs to be open to the uncontrollable and unpredictable spirit of God, the wind that blows where it chooses. Jesus refers to baptism, which is a sign of dying to an old life and being reborn to a new life. Nicodemus has to die to what he believed was true about who is in and out with God and live into a new construction of reality that Jesus describes. 
Nicodemus asks concrete questions, and Jesus responds with poetry. It's very hard for Nicodemus to grasp what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus, remember, is not an outcast. He's not a leper or a beggar. He's successful as his world measures success, so any suggestion that he might have to start over or change must have been confusing to him, if not threatening. What has worked for him so far, at least in his construction of reality, is a religion of prerequisites. If I just follow these rules, if I just avoid uncleanness, God will certainly see me as worthy. And I can't be too hard on Nicodemus here because I think most of us are like him in that regard to some degree. We want our faith to be something that we can depend on, something we can count on. So we take faith and turn it into a certainty. And that brings me to the part of this morning's passage that is most familiar to the most people, John 3.16. If you're over a certain age, you may have memorized this verse. Most of us who memorized it were taught that it meant that if you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven when you die. If you don't, you won't. While John 3.16 is a great source of comfort to many people, others, including me, have struggled with that aspect of it. I quit going to church in college because I had a real theological argument with the church, and it had everything to do with the way that I understood John 3.16, which I'd only heard used to say that some people are in with God and other people are out with God. But that was the construction of reality that I lived in. Now, to be sure, the, the writer of John's gospel thinks making a commitment about Jesus is urgent. John's community was more or less under siege. But the urgent decision is not to agree with an idea, to think the right thoughts about Jesus. The urgent decision is to follow Jesus. In Greek, John 3.16 actually says, whoever believes into Jesus shall not perish. The same Greek word is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as trust or loyalty or faithfulness. So we're not just to think the right thoughts about who Jesus is, we're to trust him enough to follow him. Likewise, the phrase that we translate, have eternal life, isn't actually about life after death. The Greek is present tense, that we may have eternal life now and continue having it. It's a present reality. Eternal life is not about time, but about quality. It is a life lived in that entirely new social construction of reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. Jesus gives us a clue what he means by save the world when he mentions that Moses lifted a serpent in the wilderness. This comes from a story in the book of Numbers. The people were falling ill and dying because they turned away from God. God told Moses to lift up a bronze serpent on a pole that all who looked upon it might be healed. That's why the medical profession adopted a serpent on a pole, the caduceus, as a symbol of healing. The point is that Jesus was sent to heal the world, not to condemn it. So how did this story, which Jesus tells Nicodemus, in which Jesus tells Nicodemus that we can't control God's spirit, 
how did that turn into rock-solid proof that some people are in with God and others are out? And we can control that by meeting the prerequisites, by believing the right thing. It's more than ironic, it's, it's tragic. Social scientist Brene Brown, who's an Episcopalian, writes, in an uncertain world, we often feel desperate for absolutes. It's the human response to fear when religious leaders leverage our fear and need for more certainty by extracting vulnerability from spirituality and turning faith into compliance and consequences rather than teaching and modeling how to wrestle with the unknown and how to embrace mystery, the entire concept of faith is bankrupt on its own terms. Presbyterian minister Jim Rigby puts it more simply, religion is not about enclosing our minds in belief, but opening our hearts to life. In the movie I mentioned, The Crudes, the Neanderthal family leaves their cave when their barren and dangerous canyon begins falling in on them. The Homo sapiens, a young man named Guy, then leads them to a better place and along the way shows them that living is something more than mere survival. He teaches them to take risks. They make friends with creatures they believed were their enemies. They face danger. It's a journey, a journey from new is bad, never not be afraid, toward never be afraid. Now, I don't know anyone who is never afraid. The journey of faith is a journey toward opening our hearts to life, and that can feel scary. But there's a postscript to Nicodemus. In chapter 7 of John's Gospel, he speaks up for Jesus among his fellow Pharisees, even though they ridicule him for it. And then he's present with Joseph of Arimathea when it's time to bury Jesus, and he brings along about 100 pounds of costly burial spices. So was cautious, concrete, compliance and consequences Nicodemus born again, after all, born from above? At least he was on a journey, on the way to opening his heart to life. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in silence, in word, in song, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. I'm not going to send you out telling you never be afraid. But I will send you out saying in the face of that fear, open your hearts to life. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be loved, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.